The theme for the afternoon talk is the formless and the formations uh, of the mind. By uh, common consent, really, we uh, live in a world which the regularity of the truth uh, of the, of the uh, world is confirmed and established actually by the way we look at it, by common agreement. And this common, common agreement that we have about what the truth is or what uh, reality is can be summarized in a whole variety of uh, different ways. And sometimes we look at this world that we're engaged in and we might say, I am a human being, I was born and such and such, I am living my life, I am getting older day by day and at some point the energies, the faculties of the life will dissolve <coughs> and death will come look at the world and say uh, equally look at the world and it really feels to be a world in a way which is based on subject and object and in the world of subject and object I am uh, uh, the subject shall we say yeah I speak in behalf of all of us here and then what I look at around me and observe are the object uh, the objects can be sentient, humans, uh, uh, animals, sentient creatures. The objects of interest can be uh, non-sentient, uh, of course, and uh, uh, the rocks and things that we make and much, much more. So by the common agreement that we have is, I'm a human being, I was born, I'm living, I will uh, die, uh, there is a world full of different objects there, from the sentient kind uh, there to the insentient. I have to attend to all of this as I move through life. And perhaps many, perhaps most, perhaps the vast majority of human beings will say, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's the reality of things, that's the truth of things, so that we move through life with the wish, probably for most people, to endeavour to deal with it and get on with it as uh, best we can until the nature squeezes the last breath out of the body. And then we're, then we're gone. And then there's the uh, funeral uh, afterwards and people say a few kind words about us there they may rem might remember us for a, a day or two <laughs> and they also have to get on with their lives and life moves on and this is the sequence of life uh, there in the everyday sense but could it be that it's a kind of relative truth it's a conventional truth it's the truth which you and I 
subscribe to. It's the way we use the language. It's how we feel. Subject and object. Myself and the world. I am an object of other people's attention. You are an object of my attention. And this is how it goes on. And sometimes it's healthy, very healthy in fact, just to have enough doubt in which the acknowledgement and the rec and the recognition is this is one way of looking it's one way of viewing and the acknowledgement of that then opens the door so so to speak could there be other ways of relating, being, looking, which is not in that form? Form of language, form of experience, form of the mind, form of the thought, and um, much, much more. Is it just a way of looking at things there? And what we notice in this conventional agreement and interpretation that uh, we have that a function of the self, the, the presentation in the convention, is of the roles. And the roles are a formation. They're a formation which requires the subject and the object. So, if you think about any roles that you have in life, whatever those roles may be, and I think about any, I can't have the role, you can't have an existence, because it's a coexistence. Any kind of role that I have in life will require directly and explicitly for its presentation, for its appearance, the consideration and the support of the other. If you don't know what I mean, just remember when you were in a relationship and it finished. The role of the partner, the lover, the wife, the husband, or whatever language we may use, required for that role to sustain itself, the other. So in the world of conventions, the coexistence, the mutuality, requires a movement of the formation of the mind, which is heart and mind more precisely, thought, some sense of connection, the same response has to come from the other, and in that coexistence together, oh, I have a role. Even right now, and the privilege, it is a great privilege to communicate and share uh, uh, with, uh, with you. It requires the cooperation of the event from all of you, as well as myself, to establish the role, which generally we might use the language of teacher. Yeah. So sometimes... Some of the beloved, I put quote unquote here, uh, uh, teachers will come. I've heard it a, a few times, and they will say, "Oh, I'm, 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 I'm not a teacher." No, no, no. But the person still comes and sits on the throne, gives a gives a talk. I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a teacher. Gives a uh, gives a talk. A throne, as you know, in English, is either what the queen sits on or the toilet. It's, it's just how you how you consider the throne. And 
So we come and we uh, sit on the throne, then the view may be expressed. And I just, oh, this person's gone beyond being a teacher, no identification with being a, a teacher or, or whatever, which is fine to say, but actually, <laughs> in the actual life, speaking to others who are kindly listening with interest and curiosity for some learning, possibly some insight, possibly understanding, <laughs> I call that a teacher. <laughs> Nothing special about the role. But it would, for the dynamic, I'm only using it as a model and a reference point for every situation in life, because you have to remember, because you don't, you'll suffer, every single role that you and I have in life is being supported by others. Don't think that role is in your hand for one moment. If you do, good luck. <laughs> so sometimes in the movement and the manifestation of the roles which we have uh, in life, this support for the other. Uh, only take, we'll only take one person in here to say, no, I'm bored. <laughs> Which would be understandable. <laughs> and gets up and starts, you know, dancing or, or becoming a teacher or <laughs> whatever it might be. And then the role is in crisis. What am I going to do? This person doesn't want to listen to me anymore. A few have wanted to listen to me and they've stormed out with their because they've heard me say things which they sincerely didn't like and then my beloved friend said to me Christopher how do you feel about that you, you said something and it really got upset with you and they stormed, stormed out and my response was if I was sitting in the hall and I was listening to Christopher there are things which I have said which I would get up and storm out <laughs> so everybody has their right to be present and everybody has their right. You, you see that, that sign up there, that green sign, you see? That, 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 that person is, is running out there, you see? This is a reminder. You have the right to run out of this hall. That's what that's about. It's called liberation running. <laughs> so there are situations when we look at this conventional world that we live in. We see the constructions of the variety of roles that we may have. You could even be, as I was once, living in a cave. So I haven't got any role, I'm just a cave dweller, I'm just doing my meditation practice. It still required uh, the forest, it still required the cave for the support, and specifically it still required the presence, in this case of the villages, where one could go to and receive the food in the begging bowl, those of you who know the Thai uh, tradition. And when one of the monks who had made a vow, I must have mentioned this previously uh, here some time ago, um, to stay in uh, the cave for a 20-year period, and he didn't see anybody, so he would hang his begging bowl up from a branch uh, there during the day, the lay people, bless their hearts, would come, fill the begging bowl up with the food that he needed, and then when they left, he'd go back to that tree where it was hanging, collect the bowl, and return to the cave uh, there. And some 19 and a half years went by, and then he got piles, you know, where you can't sit, incredible pain, and needed some uh, treatment, and so forth, and the lay people realised that because he couldn't move, even to go and get the, the, the bowl hanging from the branch, and the, 
in, in the forest uh, there. So out of all of that, he came back to the monastery. I was at the monastery uh, in southern Thailand of Ajahn Buddhadasa uh, there. So the monks were very curious. You know, the guy spent 19 and a half years uh, living in a cave. You might say, well, okay, well, any insights? What, what, what? <laughs> any understanding which came out of it? You know, it's a long stretch. I, I did nine months, you know, as peanuts. It was 19 and a half years. Yeah. So when the monks, older monks, young monks, sat round him in the forest and asked him, and his response was, it was a complete waste of time. <laughs> and I said, whoa. We, we, we loved the uh, refreshing uh, honesty. And he said, I realized life is about relationship. Wow. Yeah, quite an insight. <laughs> Some people can spend their whole life and not realize it. That's why there's so much anguish. You don't realize life is about relationship, roles about relationship. The life is as much a psychological event. The formations of the mind relating to other formations of the mind. The formations of the heart relating to other formations of the heart. That's the stuff of life. Be foolish to reduce life to materialism, to a, a, a biological uh, event, when we see and know how s significantly important is this relationship of the so-called inner life. There's no actual inner life; it's a, a myth. The inner is a, a separating point. Um, life is life unfolding here and there, so to speak, in the dynamics of all of that, and woo is the condition of the life, of the feelings, the thoughts, the moods, the heart, the mindfulness, the presence, the awarenesses, woo, is that important to all of us? And that's part of the exploration which takes place here. In all of this, as just mentioned, there are formations the life, the inner life, shall we call it, manifests itself in a variety of formations. The obvious ones in those formations certainly would be thoughts and sometimes the stream of, of thoughts. The stream of thoughts may well run through in the meditations as they do uh, in uh, other circumstances. It isn't easy to remember that in this formation called a thought, it isn't easy to remember, it is only a thought. That's what it is. It always was that, it is that, and it will always will be that. But something goes on in the dynamic of the formation. How easily it can be that it's a thought, but the thought has colluded itself, it's hooked itself, into other movements. One is called I, my, uh, memory would be uh, another, um, impressions uh, would be in there, certain feelings would be uh, old views, and one gets a package, a package of the history, along with the current thought, along with the I and my, and it forms a mind state. It generates a production within 
of a state of mind, of a formation of mind. And how easy it is that in the formation of mind that takes place, the response to it is to give it a reality beyond what it is. And this imposition of giving a reality to uh, the situation then becomes the imprisonment. Reality is elsewhere. It's not in the fluctuating, insecure, uncertain, changeable, unreliable formations of the mind. How could it be? If it was a reality, these changeable formations of the mind, then we'd be in the absurd position that there's a state of mind which is it's the reality, and then there's, it disappears. Oh, now I'm in an unreality. Oh, another new mind state has come back. Now I'm back in a reality. Whoa, is that a recipe for going crazy? Which people do. So that something goes on in the being, in the relationship to the manifestations of the formations of the uh, inner life, which exaggerate its importance, and its exaggeration is known to human beings by suffering. That's how you know. It's the, not that it's some plot from the nature or uh, whatever, it's the unfolding circumstances which has somehow, in a strange way, construed the presentation of the state, the state of mind, and the imagination has got kind of skewed in that direction, and then the impressions and the memories and the thoughts and the feelings and the moods and the, the whole package gets glued in there together and it becomes our reality and because it's seen as a reality we suffer and we all, we all, we all know the situations in our past my goodness me how many have we had where something was really really problematic to us whatever that might be uh, about. And then we've passed through that so-called reality and then days or weeks, months later we've looked back at that and we've been boasting with our dear friends over our soya latte God, <laughs> I went through this nightmare but now when I look at it it was, what, just a dream. God, it was empty. It really, God, I got so caught up in it. But I realised later, it was, un, it, it was unreal what I got caught up in, what I believed. It was all a, a production of my mind, uh, a reactive one, and I was, I was, what, I was out of touch. Yeah. But we're here, it's not... We, it's not called hindsight meditation, you know, here. <laughs> it's insight meditation. <laughs> What's, you, know, you might remember days, weeks and months uh, 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 later uh, there. But it's, it's, it's the insight is to see into it when it's going on, to take the potency out of it there. 
and that taking the potency out of the problematic not only of course it's healthy from a non-suffering standpoint but it's also providing and giving some opportunity to see in fresh ways uh, the situations with can I have a hit on your water? There are situations which arise and the small event can touch us. A bit, very small, small little things can touch us. And you may have felt that um, um, prior to coming here where something may be unknown, typical circumstance of the human, and one is moving towards whatever it might be, uh, might be in this case the preparation to come on a retreat and with the movement towards humanly enough some expectations can arise about what it might be like some thoughts arise in anticipation of the event which is coming uh, up the very thoughts about enter into um, a speculation therefore can't be truth with it and the speculation may be that the thoughts about and the event actually meet I expected it to be like this and it is like this and it gives the flavour or the idea in the mind oh just as I thought this is how it is there if this, the thought with the anticipation of how it might be, and it is like that, please remember, regard it as one amazing cosmic coincidence. <laughs> Otherwise, you might end up believing that you're a prophet, <laughs> you know, that you can see into the future, or you can tell your friends over the next latte, I know just how it's going to be. Oh, no, you don't. <laughs> Nobody does. And sometimes... It's the thought arises, there is the anticipation of how things are, and it turns out, for countless numbers of reasons and causes, conditions, we just don't know how it will be. We think we do. And what's important about this is, when we are having a struggle with not knowing, we will move very quickly into the streams of thinking of wanting to know we're not very good at living with the unknown but we need to get good at it we need to find ways to be mindful and meditative enough that in the face of unknowns there which we have no control over whatever that might be we can stay steady in the face of the unknown because life has as many unknowns in it as knowns. It has to. As many. And sometimes the small, the small little things, I had a smile on my face this morning, two or three today actually. And uh, uh, one was I heard some rustling um, around just outside our place uh, uh, over there. And as you know, you've been making the, the pilgrimage to the palace to uh, meet with the royalty 
<laughs> of uh, Queen Radha in this lovely, resplendent, you know, there with beautiful furniture, you know. It, 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 I mean, that, room, that place over there is the Buckingham Palace of Byron Bay. <laughs> and, and Queen Radha sits there and, you, you know, people come. I do too. We come for an audience, you know, <laughs> etc. Uh, there. Meanwhile, of course, I'm meeting people in the broom cupboard. <laughs> I know my place. Yeah. is teaching me humility. <laughs> and I never expected to land up there when I got here. I had to say the thought hadn't crossed my mind. Those of you who haven't been to the broom cupboard, you know, be later today or tomorrow, I'll see you there. Yeah. I wonder. <laughs> yeah, exactly, that's it. Yeah. She'll explain. <laughs> so, okay, so sometimes there is a life which is moving on. In, in the movement, we take a real interest in the formations of the life, and particularly the formations, and when it is something difficult with the past. There. You and I may may struggle through uh, that. We may have a sense, and it might be quite right that it's just not yet clear. That's the truth. I mean, truth has to be in terms with facts. You know, truth and facts are, you know, are sacred in a certain way. And so sometimes it's not resolved. It just isn't clear uh, uh, for us. We have to be. True to that, That's, if that is the fact of the moment, so that we stay true to the fact without carrying, not easy, all the impressions of what might happen. Because that moves from the fact, I don't know, it's not clear to me, and if I can't live with the not knowing there, that will generate lots of streams of thoughts and fears and agitations and, and worries divorced from the fact it's I can't live with the not knowing but the actuality is I can't live with all the fears, anxiety and all the speculation that's what I can't live with because it's too stress, distressing it's painful, it's depressing, it's suicidal and, and that finding a way to be with the fact and sometimes the subsequent not knowing is uh, a real challenge for us. It's a real place and point of finding a steadiness in this world of the known and the unknown. There are times, and they are rather precious, and it's been absolutely lovely to uh, listen to your good voices uh, here in, in the one in the one to ones. When the formations, the forms, the thought world, the state of mind, uh, well, that which uh, manifests is not in any way a primary object of interest. I'm not so to speak, meditating on the states of mind. I'm not meditating on how I feel. I'm not uh, meditating on the breath or uh, uh, on the body. What that means is that 
the object, that means the form, the form of the breath, the form of the body, the form of the states of mind, or whatever, the form of the role, or whatever. I'm not meditating on that. It's not an object. And remembering as well, as one person uh, pointed out too, that quite often when we are involved a lot in the object, the object of interest there, that object or other objects, associated or not, easily can arise and produce the thoughts. Understand? And with the object called the breath and with the object called the state of mind, whatever it might be, that is the object of interest, and it has a form to it, the way it's formed, the breath, the way it's formed, the body, etc. And we, when energy drops, when interest drops, uh, when mindfulness drops, or other factors, very easily we lose the connection with the object, and we move then into other objects. It's called the daydream. It's called the fantasy. It's called the ideas. It's called, what's it called? Self-entertainment. It's called the slippery road to hell. <laughs> or whatever it might be. And so there's a departure from, we get caught up in the stream of things, and, and we notice those streams of things that are going on inside of us. Those stream of things are a formation. Formation of the stream, formation of the idea, formation of the mood. They're all f formations. And those uh, formations, as I mentioned, just can vary a great deal. Happily, wonderfully, marvellously, there are times when we can put hand on heart and we're not lost either in those formations emerging, nor are we tied to trying to keep steady with one formation called being with the breath, mindfulness of body, observing thoughts come and go, or whatever it might be. And then that brings us to a receptivity about the formless form is not always in our face whether it's the role whether it's what we see and what we hear in terms of forms and flowers and trees and things and people and so forth forms are not always in our face and the absence of involvement with the forms there generates a receptivity in life to the formless and the formless is precious it's liberating and it's deeply uh, uh, important. And the access and the sense of it is generally best known when there is some quality of inner peace. When I don't feel the need to have to concentrate. I don't feel the need to develop the method and technique there. And in that... Uh, kind of allowing things to be and we do not feel oppressed we do not feel heart, mind and body is kind of on top of us or harassing us or we're struggling uh, with it in the quietness of the being there this receptivity is, is 
deeply important. And this then can um, uh, show itself in a whole, whole variety of different, different ways. And Dharma exploration, while acknowledging the importance of the form of truth and facts having a close intimacy together, uh, there being able to name something quite clearly this is this, this is that or whatever and to stay steady with it but there is a point uh, where the stepping back from all of that yeah. may begin to bring about a receptivity to another kind of sweetness of life which is not about forms even though we might be in the spell of them and just to give a a sense of what I'm referring to here, silence has no form to it. How could it have? It's formless. Stillness has no form to it. Spaciousness has no form to it. Love has no form to it. Friendship has no uh, form to it. Truth has no form to it. Reality has no form to it. So what I mean by this is that though in the world that we live in, the everyday world that we live in, you and I are attending to form. Look at, look at the retreat. My goodness me, it's full of them. It's embarrassing. There's the form of waking up at 5.45 in the morning, then there's the form called sit, walk, stand, recline, form, call, eat, then what else do we do? 9.30 in the morning, there's the form of the talk, and now, God, there's another one. <laughs> Four o'clock in the afternoon, and there's the form of the evening program. Form, 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 form. <laughs> Surprising, you haven't all raced off down to the beach. <laughs> You've had a thought about it, I know. And so... <laughs> so so here is this world of forms going on uh, there, but there is something which is deeper than the form. It's not about the timetable. It's not about the structure. There, they're, they're all supportive uh, extras to have some. What else is going on? What else can I discover? Which has got nothing to do with the timetable and all the structures and even all the formations of mind let the, all of that be quiet let that all just be at peace at least for a few moments for then some other sense of things can come I mean that um, says, uh, sense uh, for that allows something to expand out something something bigger and one of the reasons amongst the many why this is uh, genuinely and deeply important because I don't think we can handle our life without realising the significance of the formless. I don't think we have a chance. I haven't got a chance in hell of handling it. Because human beings, if we've got the idea, like I said at the beginning of the talk, Life is about the form of me, the form of more my life, the form of others, and how I relate to them and how they relate to me. If I think life is just about that, 
even if it's a comfortable life. It's the life of a canary in the cage. It's an imprisoned life. Because it's trapped in the forms. And it's not that you and I have to run away from the forms, uh, that they have a usefulness. There's, this is the form of the retreat. It has a function, it has a usefulness. But something which is not of the form has to permeate the being. Some sense of something much more significant, something vast, something, to use the kind of religious language, the sense of the eternal is the one deep sense that will put our life into perspective. I have to have a sense of the eternal. And that then expands itself out, so to speak, beyond the constructs and the limits. So in the dynamics of our relationships with each other, in the dynamics of the heart and the events, that recognition of something bigger than helps to put our life into such a perspective, such a perspective, that birth and death is not the major event. It's not the most important thing. And what's rather extraordinary about it is the view with all the happinesses of a beautiful birth and the sadnesses of a, of a death uh, there. Although those precious feelings and sentiments and uh, touches of the being out of these uh, uh, events, they are tiny raindrops in this vast field of the movement of life. That's all. And that sense of the eternal, that sense of the deep sense of the formless, contributes to the event in which we say, oh, there is birth, which was before, there is the staying, which is the life, and then there is death. That way of looking is from the position of oneself, or the position of how we look at others, and it seems so obvious that's how it is. But if the expanse is kind of outside of birth, life and death, arising and abiding and uh, fade, uh, fade away, if it's bigger than that, it's outside of that. One can put hand on heart and say birth and death is the same event. They're, 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 they're the inseparables. They're impossible to distinguish one from the other. They, they live in, in such an embrace, like wood and trees, the embrace is that, uh, that intimate, that one is the confirmation of the other. 
that the birth is the confirmation of the death the death is the confirmation of the birth and without that movement without that as an authentic truth of life shall we, shall we say nothing can move on life couldn't have any rhythm to it because its rhythm and it's, and it's an eternal rhythm is confirmed by change and therefore it's confirmed by birth and death and if we get to understand that and we know it and we love it for what it is and allow that movement to be as uh, as free as possible then we marvel that we belong with it life is just moving on through these what formations and we're looking deeper and we're exploring the formless we're exploring the eternal we're looking at that which is bigger than me and my small framework of view I have a bigger sense of things which gets everything into perspective and that allows a, a free movement in which the movement of birth and death can flow freely because it does and it's not about you and me <coughs> it never was how could it be if it was about you and me we'd probably make the choice to have the self live eternally <coughs> fat chance of that life is, is freedom is the realisation and the knowing of the free movement of life it's the inseparable event life, look at it, it moves so freely moves in, it moves in extraordinary ways and that extraordinariness has no uh, limit to it and we live and we breathe and we make our contribution and that's enough for one life okay thank you for listening <laughs> let's have a quiet minute shall we
may all beings go beyond the conventional view may all beings have a profound sense of the vast may all beings live with love and wisdom <laughs>